If this is your, your first week, um, I've got a challenge because uh, we are in week 21 of 72 in a series called Vintage Jesus. As, uh, as a body, we really love walking through the whole, whole books because you get stories and themes that you, you would never see when you do isolated preaching. And so what we, we're doing is we're walking through the whole book of Mark. It's forcing me to preach on things that I thought I would never have to preach on because it's right there. It's the next section. And it's like, okay, today we're talking about the demoniac. Great. We're talking about demons. Love it. Hope you feel warm and fuzzy. But today we're, we're talking about, I believe that the Bible is true and relevant. It is God's inspired word that speaks to us still today. And it speaks to you today. Right where you're at, no matter where you are in your, your Christian walk or your investigation of who Jesus Christ is, this speaks to you. This is God's Word. So because of that, I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, open it up. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, kind of flag the people at the end of your rows because we've got some extra Bibles in the middle of the, or in the aisles. Uh, follow along with us because the Word of God is alive. It's the light for our path. It gives us direction as to how, how it is that we should live, how we live in Christ, as Ephesians constantly reminds us, that we are in Christ, and this is how we live. So um, if you grabbed one of those Bibles uh, in, the, in the aisles, it's page 697, and we're going to start with uh, verse 1 of chapter 5. They went across the lake to the region of the Gennazarenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out, And cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he said, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And as a farmer, this is kind of a fun thing for me to picture in your head. Uh, The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out And went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, 
And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the, in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were just amazed. About 330 B.C., the great uh, Alexander the Great, who was a Greek, came into the area that is now known as the Decapolis. The Decapolis was uh, no less than ten Greek city-states. And Alexander came in and just wanted to bring his Greek influence into every city that he set up. He would come into the city these areas, conquer the people, and immediately start setting up uh, gymnasiums. He'd set up stadiums. He would set up all these kind of Greek things to start bringing in the Greek worldview of how to live, how to breathe, how how to function in society. And it was a highly structured, intellectual kind of society. The The Greek... Decapolis, there was a 15-mile-long aqueduct that brought water to a small city called Suzita, a city that was built on a 35-acre plateau. 
And uh, this aqueduct would just bring fresh water, cool water to the city. On top of that, it boasted of hundreds of pagan temples, magnificent examples of Greek architecture, paved streets, and fountains. This was a masterpiece. And to the Jewish eye, this was totally foreign and unclean. There were colonnaded streets, running water, marble fountains. There were theaters, stadiums, and temples. And located about five miles off of the Sea of Galilee, there was a beautiful bath complex located at Hamat Gadar, which is a, a place where they had hot baths, steaming baths because there's volcanic activity, and there was also cold baths that would run for a hundred yards. And it was in these pools that they would say that there would be healing for any of your ailments. If you were sick in any way, soak in these baths and you would be made whole. Offer sacrifices to your gods and you will be made whole. People came to this place to find healing in the warm baths and to worship their gods of healing. Jews rarely visited this area, despite its location, to view the Jewish communities near the sea. In Jewish tradition, the Decapolis was known as the Land of the Seven, representing the seven pagan nations that were driven from from Israel in Joshua's days. The Jews believed that the area was dominated by the devil. Pagans were known for their worship of their fertility gods and their many other practices that were totally detestable by their God. But we see today that Jesus challenged their norms by taking his message of healing to the darkest places in Decapolis. He healed a demon-possessed man in one of the darkest places. He deliberately brought the gospel to the people in this region because they needed the therapy that only he could provide. They needed the wholeness, the deep health and wholeness that only Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, could provide. There was no bath. There was no sacrifice that could heal like Jesus. So this morning we're, we're talking about this strange topic that in, honestly, North American uh, culture, we don't talk about demon possession. But there's some, if you get into different circles of our, our Christian culture, there's those who, whew, there is a demon behind every door under every rock in every, wherever it is, there's a demon that is causing it. But then we have the opposite extreme where there's absolutely nothing. It's just bad feelings. Or you caught a cold. Or, you know, you're on a stint of just some bad luck. C.S. Lewis says, says this. Thanks, Ryan. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. 
The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail to a materialist and a magician with the same delight. So this morning, as we look at Mark chapter 5, we have, we have to affirm the biblical reality that there is a Satan and that there are demons and his host. We've just got to come to terms with that. But in doing so, we need to refrain and hold back from promoting an unhealthy fascination. Our goal this morning is to reveal Satan's purpose and then to demonstrate Jesus' power over the evil forces and his ability to heal the harm that they have done. We need to be able to say, yes, there absolutely is a Satan, there is spiritual warfare going on, but you know what? There is a Jesus who is far more powerful, who is sovereign over absolutely everything, and to deny that gives too much power to Satan. Verses 1 and 2 reveal that Jesus' encounter took place the morning after a rough night at the sea. Last week we talked about how Jesus was just totally exhausted of doing ministry in the, on the, the, the safe side. And he says, okay, let's get into a boat. I've hit a wall. Let's head on to the other side. And in that, Jesus hits the wall and falls asleep. He's out cold. There was no waking him. And in the middle of the sea, all of a sudden a huge seismic-like storm hit this small little boat and the flotilla afterwards. This, these, these fishermen were surprised by what in the world is going on. They've seen storms, but this was beyond all compare. And their boat was filling up. And they all of a sudden look and say, Jesus, do you care? Jesus is awoken. And with a word says, Be still. Be quiet. And that wave that was just about to kill him, whoosh, and the wind stopped. A dead still. And Jesus says, Listen, I am God over nature. I am God over everything. I'm God over nature. The wind, the waves obey me. I was there at the creation. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. The active creator. I created it. I did not stand back and just say, go. I am actively involved in my creation. And watch as I have control over the wind and the waves. And keep in mind that if I have control over the wind and the waves, I am deeply concerned also with you. I have the power and the authority to control and to protect you. And now Jesus enters into the Decapolis after a rough night of being on the, 
the waves. Slowly, I'm sure, because there was no wind. Slowly coming into port. And Jesus steps onto unclean land. And starts his ministry. Not with a nice, clean bunch of folks. But the first person they encounter is a man. And you've got to get this image in your head. Because this is what the people of the village had to see. He came at him in all his glory. Naked. Cut up and bruised. Screaming from the tombs. So could you imagine, you know, for us, we have a hard time with nakedness. You know, we have a hard time coming to terms with our nakedness, let alone somebody running at you. All cut up and you're just going, oh, okay, he just calmed the sea, but what's he going to do? Please snap your fingers anytime. Jesus, come on. Because this is this scary business. He's coming at me. All boogeyman style. So what do we do now? And Mark has given us this just elaborate picture of this this demon-possessed man. The story is pathetic and really it's heart-wrenching. For this is a human being. This is a man, a human, like you, like me. It is in a totally different place. To begin with, he was demonized. Our text regularly speaks of him as being demon-possessed, but the little translation is he is demonized. That is, he's under the influence of more than one evil spirit. And it can vary. Demonization can just vary in different kinds of uh, degrees of influence. But here it was extreme. This man was with an evil spirit that came from the tombs. No good upstanding student or citizen would want to live in the tombs. No one wants to live in the graveyard. But he lived in the holes, in the caves where people were buried. He would probably be living off of the food sacrifices that people brought to honor their, their family. And that's what, how he would live. And the strange thing is that people were seeing this guy and they tried to shackle him and they tried to tie him, but his strength was extraordinary. He would break through these metal shackles. They would try to tie him with rope and nothing could hold him down. He would go through their villages screaming and talking to himself, talking to other voices. And people, you can imagine the small children going, Dad, he's coming. Dad, he's coming. And everybody would scatter. No one was able to subdue him. And night after night, day after day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out. And cut himself. I said it was an unclean spirit. He was in filthy living. Physically and morally. This man lived in the tombs. The local people had no idea what to do. So they finally just said, let him go. 
Let him live in the tombs. This poor man was a mass of bleeding laceration, scabs, infections, scar tissue, living in the delirium of pain and masochistic pleasure. Running wild. Small children would flee his approach. And I'm sure in his lucid moments he would realize how repulsive and how unloved and how unwelcome he really was. Talk about utter misery. So the question is, why? Why do demons drive men and women to depths of degradation like this? Well, it's because of this. Satan hates God. Satan hates God. They'll do anything. Satan will do anything to attack God. And mankind was created in the image of God. Look at Genesis 1.27. It says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Humanity, you and I were created in the image of God. We're image bearers of God. And Satan hates the very thought that God takes pleasure in humanity. And so his job is to take away the glory of God that God has placed into man. Satan hates it. So Satan's function, Satan's job is to distort and destroy the very image of God. One of the early church fathers, Tertullian, said this, The glory of God is man fully alive. The glory, the glory of God is when man fully realizes where his identity is found, where he knows his creator, and lives fully into that, and gives glory back to God. And Satan hates it. He does not desire any kind of health. In fact, what does he do? He does anything that will chip away at health. Because God loves it when his people reflect him. So if he was right by saying the glory of God is man made fully alive, then it is true to say that the slaying and the distortion of humanity is the attack on the glory of God. And we must, we, as the body of Christ, we must do everything that we can through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we must do whatever we can to enhance the image of God in our lives and in the lives around us. purpose of the church, one of the purposes of the church is evangelism. Evangelism is not a membership drive. Okay, get that into your head. Evangelism is not membership drives. Evangelism is helping people realize that they were created in the image of, the, of God. And that image has been tainted by sin. Genesis 3. And we are to help people realize 
the glory of God and how lost and broken they are without their Creator, without their Savior. And it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can be made whole again. So the confrontation was inevitable. When the demoniac saw Jesus at a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. It says that he shouted at the top of his voice. And the tense, the Greek tense here, indicates that he, he screamed an, almost an inarticulate cry before speaking a howl. So he came like an animal before Jesus at his feet. And when the cry subsided, the disciples heard this. What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? What is it that you desire of me? And swear to me that you will no longer, you will not torture me. And it's odd because he's, he's asking that Jesus not torture him. And the demons that possess this man were doing what? Torturing this man. Driving him daily, moment by moment, over the edge. And Jesus stood firm, addressing the spirits within him and said, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus said, hold on a second. What is your name? And he replied back, my name is Legion, for we are many. And at that point, the disciples probably took a step back or two. Because they had seen the force of the Roman occupation. And when you hear the word legion, it is a minimum of 6,000 foot soldiers. Plus 120 cavalry. Plus whatever they needed. Cooks and uh, butchers and bakers and candlestick makers that need to support this group of people. So these disciples are going, you took care of the storm, let's see how you do with 6,000 plus. My name is Legion. We are many. Eugene Lowry, a a Methodist preacher, gave a a sermon. And uh, this is what, how he described what must have been going on in the head of of the man as he was describing it. I feel like 6,000 soldiers inside me. Sometimes they all march left, sometimes right, sometimes in all different directions. I'm pulled one way, then another. There's an army inside of me, and I think I'm losing the war. This man in his desperation recognized that there's this internal battle that is just pulling him and stretching him in every possible way. And maybe, maybe, just maybe this morning, that's you. Maybe you're not coming in here naked and cut, and, but there's something inside of you that is just feeling, I am being pulled, I'm being stretched in all these different ways, and there's no clearness, no clarity, there's no wholeness to my life whatsoever. I need healing. I need wholeness. Because this is just not me. This is not what I'm created to be. 
And if we could recognize ourselves in this tortured man, we can also see that deliverance is not something that just someone else needs. If we could see ourselves in this man just a little bit, just a glimpse that, yes, I can identify with him, then we can say that deliverance is not just for those people over there. But I need healing. I need deliverance. I need a Savior who is greater than me. The power of the Gospel is also for us. The power of the Gospel is for you as a believer, as one who is checking out this this Jesus Christ. The power of the Gospel is also for you. We, I, am just as battered as this man. Even though we do a really good job of covering it up and living in our nice little houses, having these nice jobs, making good income. In reality, if we could get at our heart, at the inside of us, there's times we are just as battered as this man. And we're just as pained and just as confused. But deliverance can also come to us when Jesus lands on the shore of our lives. When Jesus lands on the shore of our lives. And when Jesus lands on the shore, there is great tension. Jesus didn't have to go seek out the man. The man came a-running. And behind the man's eyes, there's craziness in a zoo. Mark goes on to talk about, in verses 11 through 13, about what happened. And it's just this, this crazy thing where Jesus enters into this negotiating looks like a negotiating time with these demons. And in reality, Jesus is going, listen, you want to go into the pigs? I'll send you into the pigs. You have no clue what's going to happen. I'll release you. Because it will be a display of my power that these people and this man will never forget. I will send unclean things into unclean animals. And watch what happens. This will be a display for all people to, to remember. And just, you got to understand that these pigs, these pigs aren't those nice, cute pink things that we, we see. These are looking like wild boars that you see on Animal Planet. So there were 2,000 of these nasty-looking critters. And Jesus says, all right, all 6,000 plus of you, I'll let you go. And the demons released their hold on the man, went into the animals, and the animals go, ho, 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 something's going on. And they took off for the cliff. Could you imagine the, the pig tender at that point going, well, time to look for another job. Hope McDonald's is open. Because immediately, 2,000 pigs, gone, into the sea. 
Jesus allowed them to go. It was a dramatic end that was powerful, that provided a picture that was probably burned into the mind of that man that he will never forget. As unclean leaves and goes into unclean, I am free. And it is gone. And it is dead. It has left me. It's a a dramatic destruction of animals. And some of you who are PETA folks, just relax. It's all right. Jesus coupled that with the healing of a man to show the stupendous, amazing power of Jesus Christ. But if we focus too much on what happened to the demons and happened to the pigs and what happened to the cliff and what was, how did they clean up that kind of hazardous waste kind of stuff, we miss the whole picture. Because immediately after that, it says that the man was sitting at Jesus' feet, quiet, and in his right mind, thinking clearly, whole again. It even says that he was dressed, fully clothed. So I'm sure one of the disciples took off one of their cloaks, or Jesus took off one of his spare pieces of clothing and clothed the man. So he's no longer revealed. Jesus covered his shame, gave him wholeness and healing. He was in his right mind and he could think clearly. And he was self-controlled. He was smiling at the right times, laughing at the right times. He was fully alert again. What a testimony to the power of Jesus Christ. He completely blew away evil. The man no longer needed to be shackled, to be contained. He was unshackled, fully dressed. And it also displays Jesus' healing power. He restored his image in the life of this man. A man who was grossly, profoundly disfigured. And he gave him healing and wholeness. Wholeness. Could you imagine that moment? utter chaos and pain and misdirection and all kinds of direction. And in a moment, whole, free, can breathe again, can hear a bird, the laughter of a child instead of the shriek. Maybe this man was a father at one time. And he's now able to hold a child, his own child. Maybe he was a brother. But the man is now whole. Perhaps this this needs to go directly to your heart. I don't care if you're a believer who has believed since the first day that you drew breath. If you're still investigating. This probably needs to go directly to your heart. 
Because some of us have descended so low in sin. And the marks are so profound in us that you can't believe that you can be made whole. You're hearing this message and you're saying, Come on, Paul. You're naive. You have no clue how deep the pain and the mars go in my life. You have no clue. I've experienced this as a child. I've experienced this as an adult. You have no clue the depth of the pain. And I cannot believe that Jesus can take care of this. I feel hopeless. I feel directionless. My answer is that I know Christ. I know my Jesus. And I can speak confidently about His healing power. I can talk about His healing power in my own life. As an abuse victim, and seeing that the power of Jesus Christ heal me and give me wholeness. He can do it. So are you deeply scarred somewhere? Do you have just filthy habits? You fill in the blank of what that is. Filthy habits. Perhaps you're just dishonest. Just dishonest. The glory of God is in man fully alive, whole. Maybe your scar is sexual. Whether you're heterosexual or homosexual, and you feel you're beyond help, here's the thing. It's not true. Jesus, who calmed the stormy seas, also calms the storm-tossed soul. And he can do this in a word. Just in a word. That's my Jesus. There's something that perplexed me when I was reading this. You get to the end of this section and verse 18 says, and as Jesus was getting into the boat, it's just like this casual encounter. Hey, I'm going to go take care of these uh, 6,000 plus demons, do my business. Talk to you guys later. As Jesus is getting back into the boat, doesn't even say he did lunch with the guy. Uh, he may have. But Jesus is getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And this word begged is not just like, come on, Jesus, please. Okay. It's like this, this repetitive over and over. Please, please, Jesus, come on. You've done this for me. I've felt your mercy. I've felt your grace. I've felt the healing. I'm whole. Please let me go. Don't leave me here. You know what happened last time? I was, I was a mess. 6,000 plus. You saw the pigs. Come on. And he begged and begged. And Jesus did not let him. Doesn't that seem odd? Don't you have this picture that, you know, Jesus cares tremendously. He goes out and searches for people. And as he searches for people, he takes them back to the fold. But Jesus says, no. You're not coming back with me. You're not coming back with me. He says this. Go 
home to your family. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. You are now my witness. You go. You go back to your family. You go back to your community. You're whole. You're healed. You're free. You're a new life in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Now worship. Now tell. Now spread the good news. You're a new creation. You go back to your family and tell how much mercy has been given to you. Don't come with my holy huddle. I've got a different plan for these people. You go. You go out. Go back to Decapolis. To the surrounding area. And tell the people. They'll know about you. They'll recognize your scars. But they'll see that you're now whole. In right mind. Thinking and clearly. Talking. About the power of Jesus Christ. You want to talk about a message for the church? Later on, we're going to see how Jesus comes back to this area. And how there was four or 5,000 people now coming to Jesus. Instead of this bewildered man running from the tombs, now four to 5,000 people are saying, I've heard about this Jesus, and he's able to heal me as well. There's a story about a, an ophthalmologist who just graduated from, from college. And he, he was about ready to start his business. But he was without friends, without money, without any patrons. And he became discouraged until one day he saw a blind man. Looking into this man's eyes, he said, Why don't you have your eyesight, eyesight restored? Come with me to my office this morning. The blind man went. When the operation was performed and proved successful, the blind man said, Listen, I have no way to repay you for anything. I have no money. I've been on the streets. I'm destitute. I am broke. I can't repay you. And the doctor said, Yes, you can. You can pay me, and I expect you to do so. There's just one thing I want you to do, and it's very easy. Tell everybody that you see that you were blind. And tell them who it was that healed you. And that's what this man did. He heralded the news. He proclaimed the news to those ten cities. And it ends in verse 20 saying, And all the people were amazed. We talk about church growth. It came from a relationship, not a postcard. It came from people proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to everybody. I was broken. And now I'm whole. You've got pain in your life? 
How about let the healer heal you? You got shame in your life? How about you allow the one who can take that shame because he bore it on the cross and allow him to make you whole? Nothing will stop this Jesus. So my prayer as a church, my prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that we become people who are honest. Honest of our own condition. Really honest. Not just say, hey, I got junk, I got to work through it. But we're, we're the kind of people that take it to the cross and say, Jesus, there's nothing that I can do. I cannot do this on my own. And it's only by your power and your strength that I can be whole. And I desire that more than anything. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to sing some more songs. There are some of you that just need prayer. If you'd really come to terms with it, You need prayer. You need the power of Jesus Christ in you. And maybe there's some of you that need to accept this Jesus Christ as this demon-possessed man did and sit at his feet. So what we're going to do, we're going to pray. Chad's going to come up with the band and we're going to sing some songs and Love Jesus, the one who makes us whole and saves us and redeems us. But I'm going to be in the back. Nathan's going to be in the back. And we're going to pray for you. If there's anybody, and and even if you think it's trivial and minor, come back. And we'll pray for you. There's nothing shameful about this. This man came out in all his glory sought after the Christ. Are you willing to do the same? We'll be in the back. If there's a line, wait patiently. We'll get to you. Alright? Let's pray. God, I'm just thankful that you are a God that is a God of healing, a God of authority, that you can deliver us from anything if we will come to you. Not just only our miserable past, but also our present sins, our hatred, our prejudice, our, our junk, all of our stuff. You're able to deliver us from all of that. Not only can you save our souls, but you can also restore your proper love for our spouses, for our children, for our family, for our workplace. God, may we be a people who turn to You for our salvation. And may we be the people who turn to You for our healing. So God, in the next few moments, I just pray for my brothers and sisters who are, I know, in need of wholeness like I'm in need of wholeness. God, I also pray for our worship. Lord, that 
the songs that we sing are songs that honor and glorify You, the Creator, the Healer, the Sustainer, the Author of our lives. So Jesus, we're going to worship You with just meager words. But Lord, may they just be a sweet offering to You where You're pleased. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.